five, four, three, two, one. Welcome. You have entered the Kai Corso experience. What's going on, Kane Corso family? You have reached the airwaves of the Kane Corso Experience, the podcast for the everyday dog owner, really of any breed, but we focus on the brilliant breed of the Kane Corso. This is everything that you need to know about the experience of dog ownership. And of course, we talk about tips and tricks, training, nutrition, but I am not a professional trainer. I'm not a professional nutritionist. I'm not a vet. Um, So take everything with a grain of salt. This is purely my opinion and my experience of ownership of the kind of Corso. So without further ado, my name is Johnny Doe, your host. Let's get into this. So, you know, you know, I start every episode talking about that I'm not a professional trainer, blah, 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 blah. But I'm not a professional auto mechanic, but I know how to work on my car. I'm not a professional contractor handyman, but I can, you know, I I wired up something in my house the other day that went out. Um, I can troubleshoot certain things that, that, uh, you know, my, my dog puts a hole in the drywall. I can patch it. You know, I am not a professional, uh, fitness instructor or bodybuilder or, um, personal trainer, but I, I've been working out for 30 years. Um, I'm not a professional accountant, but I can do my taxes. Do you see where I'm getting at here? People put a little bit too much of an emphasis on experts. And experts are important, but if you don't know the basics, go take your car to an auto mechanic and know nothing about mechanics and see if eventually you don't get taken to the cleaners. For instance, uh, I blew my clutch out this weekend. I need to get a. I need to replace the clutch. I burn it up. So um, I'm taking it to a mechanic to change the clutch. I went ahead and bought the clutch. I know what kind of clutch I want in there. Hell, I could probably do it myself if I had the time, the inclination, the equipment. Um, I don't have a lift in my garage. I don't have a lot of room. And when you're changing out the clutch, you got to drop the transmission. You have to disconnect the transmission from the from the engine, basically. And, uh, you know, the clutch and the flywheel are, you know, right there. It's not hard to get to. Um, but here's the thing. I'm not an expert at it, but I know enough to know if the job is done right. Um, that is your job as a dog owner, especially of a Kane Corso. You need to get at a certain level. So if you ever do need to consult a professional, you at least can help them diagnose the problem. You know at least the basics. And when they teach you a few tips and tricks, it's very easy for you to implement those things. So that's all I'm trying to encourage people to do is take a bigger stake into the development of their dog's training and behaviors by them doing 85 to 90% of the work, um, if not 100%. Obviously, there's always a time. 
in a place that you need a professional. But like I said before, um, and I'll use the the mechanic aspect um, for this analogy, there's plenty of times that you take your car to the wrong mechanic and it does not get fixed properly and you think to yourself, man, I could have done a better job than this. Well, it's the same thing in anything and especially the dog world. You have no idea. I've, I've talked to so many listeners that have told me, that they consulted a professional and their dog was worse afterwards. Not, and I'm not just talking about Connie Corso, I was just talking about any dog breed. And so you have to make sure to um, you know find the right professional. But I'm a big believer that um, you know your dog better than any trainer is going to learn about your dog in 15 minute meeting uh, or evaluation period. So if there's a way that you can fix it, and there's a way I could help you, uh, maybe open your mind to certain certain aspects of dog behavior, analysis, training, whatever. That's what I'm here for. I've been a dog owner for over 30 years. And um, like I said, I'm not a subject matter expert. But what makes me unique, in my opinion, is um, I am not a person who owns dog. I am a dog person. I feel very connected with our four-legged friends. I understand their behaviors. I understand um, what they need versus what they want. And I just feel like I connect with them better than I connect with people, to be quite frank. Uh, I am not a social butterfly people person, um, but I love dogs. I love, uh, I just feel like I speak their language, okay? So, One of the reasons I do this podcast, uh, really the only reason, is to, to help people. Um, there is nothing, no worse feeling in the world than being lost in the world of dog ownership. No matter if that's health, nutrition, uh, fitness for your dog, uh, of course, training and behavior. It sucks. Um, I'm not a professional veterinarian, but you need to know the basics of when your dog's not feeling good. Some people run to the vet every single time. But if you know the basics, you don't need to. You can you can help diagnose maybe what the issue is and understand the difference between uh, a time that you got to take them to the vet to a time that maybe you can manage that and, and get them um, back on their feet just yourself. Okay? So that's... Knowledge is power, and uh, you're not going to get all your knowledge from me, but maybe I can give you a little pinch. And more than anything, I just want to inspire people to constantly be evolving and try to be the best uh, dog owner, pack leader that you can be. So, for instance, last night I uh, binged a lot of Caesar Milan on uh, YouTube. And I love Caesar Milan. I think that um, it's hard to say he's underrated because he's so popular and people, but because of his popularity, I think a lot of people hate on him. Um, But he really does focus on the right things, in my opinion. Now, you know, methods, everybody has different methods. The methods aren't as as important as understanding what behavior you're trying to modify and understand you know, uh, the, the why, but behind what it's, what's happening. And so 
no matter if it's a collar pop or how uh, Caesar Milan he'll do his little kick or he'll you know touch the neck or he does his little psh, psh, you know whatever you can change that up it doesn't necessarily have to be that you know there's a there's a saying in jiu-jitsu uh, especially MMA jiu-jitsu I'm a big MMA fan uh, where it's more important to have the proper position than submission. If you submit somebody, get them to tap out. Sometimes if you're chasing that, you lose position, and then all of a sudden somebody can can get you in a bad spot, and you're going to lose the fight. But if you always do position over submission, even if you don't get the submission, you're not in any danger. And the similar philosophy um, needs to be applied to training your dog or or trying to figure out how to manage certain certain behaviors with your dog. It's there's varying methods uh, to do it. I'll talk about maybe my method, but you know, beware of the people who say you have to do this every time. You have to use a prong collar, you have to use a choke chain or a or, or a choke lead, or you have to use an e-collar, or you always use a treat. Oh no, you never use a treat, you use a ball, or you use uh, this, or you always crate train, blah, 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 blah. There are so many different methods, and you need to figure out what method you think is going to work best for you, for not only your dog, but your personality, your, you know, some people, they just don't have it in them to use an e-collar because they think it's cruel, and I completely understand. Um, but some people, they understand the benefit of having something that, uh, that marker that that triggers a response that it's easy to train to that. Um, I see a huge benefit of an e-collar. I personally don't use one just because it's not, I found it a little counterintuitive. Um, I, I'm sure I could get good at it if I really wanted to practice toward it, but um, Romulus didn't react to it the way that I would want. He kind of ignored it, to be honest. I mean, I had to have it and people will say, well, you maybe didn't have it on right or whatever. I could tell, you could tell uh, when you trigger it, it, you know, the it'll stimulate the muscles in their necks. You can see that move. So I knew he was feeling it, but he just ignored it. Um, and his pain threshold was a little too high. He didn't, um, you don't want him to, to be hurt by it, but you want it to be a stimulus that draws their attention, right? So if it doesn't draw their attention, then what's the point, right? So I I got some benefit out of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that I didn't stick with it because I found other methods that work better. That's not right and that's not wrong. So you need to figure out kind of where you are sitting with it, okay? So uh, I like to start some of my podcasts with, you know, talking about what I've done thus far with Romulus, maybe talk about the previous week, some of the issues that I ran into. Then I like to talk about maybe a specific topic or topics, maybe talk about some of the, the interactions I've had with some listeners, maybe their questions, and just talk about some, some general uh, tips. Um, but before that, I usually share something called a official unofficial sponsor. So if you're a new listener, I, I don't get paid to do this. I'm not a professional broadcaster. Once again, just because I'm not a professional doesn't mean you know I've been doing it for over four years. But um, I digress. I do not get paid sponsorship, uh, endorsements. No one pays me to pitch a product. 
What I like to do is say, hey, I've spent my hard-earned money on this, and if it's worth it, then I want to share it with my listeners. So one of the things that I kind of neglected to tell you guys about is I use a ramp for Romulus to load unload him from my Jeep. I have a Jeep Gladiator, and it's got a you know a couple-inch lift on it. So it it's really bad on a large dog like Romulus, who's 155 pounds, if he's constantly jumping out of that thing. Now, jumping in it is low impact. Um, you know, he jumps up and it's, you know, it's a pretty soft landing because he's jumping upward. But if he's jumping down, all of his body weight times, you know, whatever, whatever formula you want to give for gravity, you know, many times your body weight is compounding on your joints. Um, Romulus already has joint problems. He has dysplasia in both of his front elbows. So that just compounds the problem. So I got him a ramp uh, that I can easily put on the lip of my, on my rock rail on my Jeep, and he can come down that ramp nice and easy. Now you have to train him to use that, but the ramp that I use, I think it's called Solvit, is the company or the brand or whatever. But I got it on Amazon. I want to say it was like maybe, I don't even remember, 50, 60 bucks. I, to be honest, I, I don't even remember. I've probably had it about a year. And why I will endorse it as my official unofficial sponsor is because, one, it's uh, it's real easy to use. I have it in the back of my Gladiator. It's real easy for me to take it out. I can extend it. It's just, you know, uh, a real easy process. It's very light. Um, and my dog's 155 pounds and I've used it every single day for a year, multiple times a day. And it's held up. It's got like grip tape so it doesn't get slippery. Um, it's a really good ramp. So I encourage you guys to find one, uh, make sure it's wide enough for your, your, uh, Cane Corso and train them even as a puppy to use it. Because even if your dog doesn't have joint problems, uh, uh, sooner or later it will if it lives long enough, okay? Older dogs always have some kind of joint problem um, and you don't want to compound that by having them jump in and out of your vehicle. Some vehicles have a low ride height, so if you have a minivan or something, maybe you don't need it. But if you're like me and I live in Wyoming where I'm uh, I'm right next to the mountains, so I'm off-roading a lot, lots of snow, we need bigger vehicles, lifted vehicles, things of that nature. So um, you're not going to have something usually with a low ride height. So you know, it's nice to be able to, I use it with my bulldog too. Um, even though I can lift him in and out, I let him walk down the ramp. So anyway, that is my official, unofficial sponsor. Really any dog ramp, but this Solvit brand on Amazon works has worked really well. Uh, and I encourage you guys uh, to use it if, if you see a benefit in it. All right. So let's get into uh, my routine what I did this this past week with Rami, and in particular today, I'll, I'll talk about focus on today, uh, because there was nothing special that that really happened this week with him. So I just got back from my morning walk with him. I even made a little video before the walk. Uh, I might post it on Instagram or Facebook. Um, it's mainly me talking. I I don't like to be on camera. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't have a YouTube channel for a reason. Is uh, it's not because I'm ugly. Um, I'm a, I'm a handsome man, but, uh, <laughs> boy, that sounded freaking weird. Um, no, my, my point is that I don't want to be on camera cause this isn't about me. 
Um, Johnny Doe's an alias. It's not even my real name. Is because I don't want this to be about me. I've never wanted this to be about me. Um, it's it's about what information that I'm providing. And of course, it's about Romulus. I don't want to be the center of attention. So anytime that I'm on camera, sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't want that attention. I, I like anonymity. I like privacy. Um, but with that being said, um, it was some good advice about my routine right before I get Romulus out of the car and getting him in the right mindset for his walk. Now we did about 1.6, almost 1.7 miles today. Uh, remember, if you have a a Connie Corso that's, especially if they're under nine months and especially under six months, do not walk them that far. Uh, over a mile is a no-no. Probably maybe the six-month mark, you can walk them a mile extremely slowly, um, you know, but make sure that, that you don't overexert um, their joints, especially when they're young. So he's two years old. He's over two years old. So um, it's perfectly fine for him to, to run, jump, do everything normal, right? He's fully grown. How do you know if your dog's fully grown? When, when you go to the vet and maybe you have their hips and their joints checked through x-ray, your vet can tell you if their growth plates have fully, um, fully come together. And that means they're done growing. doesn't mean they're not going to get more size, just means they're not going to gain taller uh, and their joints have done, are done growing. Once that happens, then you don't have to worry about near as much about the, their keeping their activity level low, okay? All right, <clears throat> what was I saying? Oh yeah, talking about um, setting yourself up for failure. And we're gonna talk about things like energy management and excitement management a lot. You hear that theme a lot throughout all my episodes because that has been, to me, the one thing that I've recognized more in this dog breed than a lot of breeds that I've had is um, it's not that this dog has more energy or it gets more hyped up more than another dog. No, it's just what it does with that energy and how it impacts its behaviors is, is somewhat unique, okay? So the first thing I did, obviously loading him up in the truck, um, I always make sure to have my Apple Watch to, um, this is not an endorsement, um, I just like to track how, how far we walk um, and the, the time, how, how long. And so you hear me talk about consistency. I, I like to be somewhat consistent with that. Um, I have a pair of gloves because I give lots of treats. And even in the summertime, I wear gloves. Why? Um, I don't want my hands getting all ate up with, with uh, manipulating the leash and Dogs, just they just slobber like crazy um, when you're giving them lots of treats. And so, you know, it just helps absorb some of that slobber, to be honest. Uh, so got my gloves, got my lead. Uh, the lead he uses is from uh, Tactipup because it has a, this the clip is up to like, you know, a couple thousand pounds of strength. So, you know, it's not going to break. Um he has his bestia, bestia collar on, but he also has a prong collar. So anytime he has that prong collar on, he knows that we're going to be doing some training. This isn't just a, let's go out and you just do you. Uh, you do you, boo. No, you listen to me. And I try to establish that. So I got the prong collar on. I uh, got my gloves, got my treat bag full of uh, either Akana, Tricos, or Origin uh, treats, 
is usually what I use. Um, there are also meals, but I just break them up to use them for treats. I want to make sure his nutrition is pretty consistent. And then I'll mix that with some Purina snaps. Snaps aren't the best thing for him, but they're not terrible. So I throw them in there just to keep his interest level high so it's not the same thing, okay? So I mix them up in there. Um, load him up in the, my Jeep, and I drive about four miles to a local park. And that park, there's lots of people around, uh, lots of people walking dogs. My community is full of, of dog owners. Um, I used to say dog lovers, but I just say dog owners now. I'll tell you maybe <laughs> some other time. Dog, I, I realize they're not, they're, sometimes they are mutually exclusive. Dog owners aren't always dog lovers. And vice versa. Okay. So I digress. I get to, to the park. There's kids riding bikes. There's a playground. Uh, there's even, uh, I live in this cool town where they actually at the park, they have bison and elk that are in a confined area. And so your dog can walk up to the fence and literally there's three enormous bison right there staring at them. Okay. So um, there's lots of wildlife, rabbits, there's deer running around, there's lots, of, there's a stream, uh, lots of bridges, waterways, um, cars going by, and there's a couple different levels um, to this park. There's like a hill that goes to an upper level. Uh, there's just lots of different things. It's not just a sidewalk is what I'm saying, okay? So I get him in there uh, in the truck, we go to the park, and before I let him out, um, I make sure that his excitement level is through the roof when he knows he's going to the park. It's important that, especially for you newer owners, when you're trying to establish um, those, those baseline good behaviors. Remember, practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. And so even though your dog will never be perfect, if you do it over and over, it is probably gonna make it a habit and make it permanent, okay? So um, his energy level's through the roof, and I don't want his energy level through the roof. You've heard me say before, I'll take him to a dog park or take him out back and let him burn some energy and then take him on a walk. Sometimes I do that, but sometimes I don't. And if I don't do that, I need to make sure that his energy is where I want it to be. Now, obviously he's gonna be excited, but I don't wanna encourage negative excitement and and his energy going through the roof. So sometimes we'll sit there in my Jeep and he'll whine a couple times, but I will not let him out when he's whining or when he's um, just, you can tell he's wanting to get out. Why? Because now you're rewarding that behavior. Remember, you might not think that you are, but anytime that your dog, if it barks at another dog and you go up to it and pet it and go, it's okay, it's okay, you're not meaning to do it, but you're rewarding. You're encouraging that behavior because the dog is getting um, it's getting positive interaction from you. And it goes, oh, I did the right thing. Let me bark at this dog even more. But if you give it a collar pop, you give it a, a, a little kick, you know, people misinterpret what the kick is. You know, it's where you just touch kind of your, your toe to their, to their hip. You're not actually kicking them. You're just... If you touch a dog's backside, it's, its instinct is to kind of stop what it's doing and look back. Um, and, and I keep doing that. For some reason, <laughs> I'm, uh, this is audio only, but I, I keep acting it out. If I only, I should do a video version of this podcast so you guys can laugh 
at how I act things out as I as I speak. I'm very uh, visual when I talk. My hands are flying around and I'm jumping up and down. Anyway, if I was a Connie Corso, my energy would be through the roof and you would not like me. Anyway, um, so you give that correction, you give that touch um, to the backside and so maybe it, it snaps them out of what their state of mind. Uh, maybe a collar pop uh, could be a verbal cue. There's uh, many different ways. Like I said, method isn't as important as doing something, okay? Um, not to get off the subject, but while I'm thinking of it, you know, people correct me all the time going, um, Johnny, you didn't do the right stay command because stay, um, you're getting it confused with place or no, you need to do this with this. No, this command means, and I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. If, if you say um, barista, okay, <laughs> the person that gives you your coffee and you want to use barista, uh, barista as your sit command, then, then freaking use it. As long as you know and your dog knows. For instance, Romulus is bilingual. He knows Italian and he knows English. And there's a couple different reasons. Maybe I'll explain it uh, more in depth later, but sometimes you don't want other people to know what the command necessarily is or you want them to be able to react with, you know, maybe there's other people talking or whatever and you and you want them to listen to something that's that's a unique sound. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons. I, I'm not going to get into it, but he knows he's bilingual. So he knows like five commands that are, that are I can... S- tell him in English or Italian and he'll understand what they mean, okay? And so it doesn't matter what word that you use. It What matters is they, that they perform what you're wanting to. If I say sit and he stands up and does little spins, then that's not what I wanted. Or is it? <laughs> if I say sit and that's what I want him to do, then all of a sudden, then he did the right thing. You understand what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter what command you use, it's how you use it. It's is are they doing what you want them, you know, what what your intended purpose is, right? Okay, so let me get back to you know talking about you know his his energy management. So he's wanting to get out of the out of the, the Jeep. I wait till he's completely calm and sometimes that takes a couple minutes. You got to be patient. Patience is extremely key. And so if you're in a big hurry and you go, I got to walk my dog real quick. I got to get to work. Um, you're going to transfer some of that hyped up energy to your dog and you might not have the best experience. Um, now, if you're just trying to get your dog some exercise or whatever, you know, situation d- dictates behavior. But just understand if you're trying to get them in the right mindset, that is not the mindset to put them in. So we wait there. He's calm. Once he's calm, I get out. I go put my gloves on. I set my up my Apple Watch. I'll go get his ramp out of the back of the the Jeep Gladiator because uh, it's you know it's a it's, it's it's a truck. So out of the bed the whole time he's sitting there. I am watching his energy level, meaning that if he's in there whining, he doesn't really bark to get out. He's really good about that. Like I could leave him in the back of the truck for hours, and he'll he'll just lay back there. Um, maybe not hours, but anyway, he, um, if he's barking, I would not open the door. I just let him make sure that he's settled. I set up the ramp. I wait till I see his energy levels nice and low. Um, 
I look at the environment, make sure that there's no stimulus that's going to instantly draw his attention where his energy spikes like a rabbit or maybe a, a high energy dog that's right next to my car where I park. So I make sure that the environment is good and controlled. Why? Because realistic expectations set your dog up for success, okay? Don't set them up for failure. Set them up where they are going to succeed because you're going to get so much more out of your training in the beginning especially if you are rewarding good behavior and not trying to correct bad behavior, okay? So I let him out. Instantly, he goes down the ramp and I give him a command right off the bat. It's usually front. The command of front means he's facing me and he's sitting and waiting for my signal, okay? Um, and so I give him a front or if he's already, sometimes he's already facing me, I'll just tell him to sit and then I'll tell him to stay. And then I get my ramp, I put it in the back of the truck, I shut the door, um, grab his leash. Um, at some point in there, I give him a, um, a reward, you know, a treat. Um, but usually I don't give the treat until I'm ready to release him from that command. Uh, how I've trained Romulus is if I say sit and I give him a treat, then all of a sudden he'll, he gets up because he goes, oh, I've achieved what I needed to. Um, what I found is easiest is I give him a command and I do not give him a treat until I'm done where he's, I don't have a release command. Some people do. Some people, they have a release command where they, they can give him a thousand treats and they're, and they're, and they're still sitting there. Um, it, it's all how, you know, you train your dog to what you want them to do. Right. So I don't give him a treat. If I say, you know, lay down, um, I might give him, uh, the only time I, I can give him a treat is when I tell him to uh, stay, I can give him a treat and say good. But he's stay is the only one that I actually have a release command. Um, and he has to stay there until I give him that release command. Anyway, tell him front, give him a reward. Um, after, you know, we're ready to walk. And once we're ready to walk, I make sure that he is, I usually give him, um, a heel or a side, which means, you know, heels on the left, sides on the right. And I make sure right off the bat, he understands there's going to be structure to this walk. If the first thing he does, he runs over and he wants to sniff something. No, no. I understand your dog has to pee. Your dog wants to sniff. I'm not telling it not to, but just, just listen for a second. Just be patient. Okay. Just, just listen. I'm getting there. All right. Everybody, everybody calm. Okay. Sorry, my energy management. I am drinking an energy drink right now. And so, yeah, about that. Don't give your dog an energy drink or your podcast host. Anyway, so I have him heel or side and I make sure that I have good leash management. You don't want to be holding up on the leash. You don't want to be nice and tight because that's a correction. And the more, the more tense energy going down that leash the more excited your dog's going to be. So nice slack in the leash. Give them a quick correction if they're going too fast, if they're not in their right position. But don't start walking until, if they're not doing it right, then stop and have them kind of give them a reset, give them the right command, and then go. Don't start on your walk until they have to understand you're in charge. If you're going about your walk and they're just keep sniffing and looking around and, and their head is bouncing all over the place and they're chasing different stuff and you're trying to correct all that, you know, there's just too much going on. 
You got to get them back to focusing on you and give them the command and make sure that they perform that. Then I slowly start integrating other stimulus. I will walk him. He doesn't walk me. I walk him to a tree. Let him sniff, let him pee, let him mark. But make no mistake, when I am done, he is done. And you've got to give him that correction of, come on, let's go, come. And then I'll give him with the, come, collar pop. It means a, a, a very deliberate yank. So it, it engages that prong collar and come, just like that with that, you know. And that should snap him out of whatever he was doing. Okay, so I do that on purpose in the beginning where I will lead him over to a tree. I give him a few seconds. If he starts getting in his own world, which he does all the time, all the time, where, uh, you know, because the dog is, you know, it knows eyes, ears. It's nose is going to trump any command that you give him. Okay, so if if you don't give a correction in there, a lot of times they're just going to ignore you if that stimulus is something that's just too, you know, if there's a dog in heat, I don't care what you do, it's going to ignore you, okay? If you have a uncut male and there's a dog in heat, good luck. Okay, so he's sniffing and I make sure to give him that correction and I'll do that three or four times. I make sure that he knows this is going to be a regimented training walk where you are not just going to do whatever you want. You're going to do what I allow you to do. Okay. I give him constantly. I'm stopping, making him sit, sometimes making him lay down, making him come to, from to side to heel or heel to side. And I'm doing that in certain patterns, really for the first half mile, uh, at least quarter mile. It gets him in the mindset of just paying attention to me, being alerted to me and not looking at everything else. You know, there's there's two different kind of philosophies when your dog is out in the world. Some people want to have it engage with everything so it just normalizes. You know, they call it socialization, where it's like, I want them to be able to interact with everything and still stay calm. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, that's extremely important to introduce them to lots of different things, right? What I see socialization is, especially at the advanced level, is despite all the stimulation, they're still focused on you. And that they see that as normal, but it should not, it, they should not be giving their attention to it. They should be ignoring it, okay? And they should be ignoring the stimulus, every stimulus, unless you allow them to engage with it. So I, I keep doing that making sure that he engages with me. Um, obviously, he's allowed to look around and stuff, but if I see him doing something that I do not like, staring at a dog, staring at prey, like birds, squirrel, like, and you can tell, um, if you if you spend any time with your dog, you know the precursors are what's going to lead them to doing some kind of behavior you do not want. So as soon as I see that body language change where he sees something, um, like a squirrel that he would like to chase, I give him a correction. I make him sit. I make sure um, that we stay there. I let him observe it. I'll let him watch it. There's nothing wrong with that. But he's going to stay there until his body language gets back to a the state that I want him in. 
Because if you, you do not want to encourage the wrong thing. That is probably the number one mistake that I've made that other people make is you're not realizing what you are doing. If you're sometimes, if you're not, um, discouraging it, you're, you're encouraging it. Okay. You don't want to be neutral. You want to give a clear delineation where your dog understands, okay, if you're in this state, you're not going to keep moving forward toward that squirrel. If, if you're in this state uh, for too long, you might get a, even get a correction. Um, but you're only going to get a reward once you're out of that state. And so when he's looking at that squirrel, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll let him watch it. I make sure that his body language kind of softens where he's not wanting to chase it. And then I'll set him up for success and I give him a command. Heal, front, you know, come, whatever. When he does that, then I, I reward that. I don't reward him looking at the squirrel. I don't reward him sitting uh, initially because he's so focused on the squirrel. If I say sit and he sits and he's still staring at the squirrel, if I reward him at that point, he doesn't understand what he's getting rewarded for. He thinks he's getting, for the way he thinks about it, oh, I'm staring at the squirrel. I'm getting rewarded for staring at the squirrel. You have to make sure to, that you are marking and rewarding the correct behavior. Okay, so you really want to break it down to make sure that th there's no way that they can misconstrue what you're rewarding. Okay, that's why when a when a dog is barking at another dog and you're comforting it, in its mind it thinks it's being rewarded, um, even though you're trying to comfort it. Dogs don't understand comfort; they understand, "Am I doing what you want, or am I not doing what you want?" And you got to be very black and white. Okay, there's, there's very little gray when it comes to behavior modification and training. Always remember that. Okay, so I get him you know, back in that, that mindset. Once he gets some of that energy out, um, or excuse me, not he didn't get it out. I redirect it to that energy being focused on me. I do that from about a quarter mile, and then I get to a nice open area of the park. And then I do some training drills with them. Um, I'll do sit, stay, heel, um, front, up, down, uh, over, which when he lays on his side, uh, side, middle, when he comes between my legs and sits. Um, uh, let's see, I said up, uh, shake, um, what else? And then I give them all the different commands in the different, uh, in, in Italian. Um, and then I'll throw them some curveballs, and I'll do a lot of recall where I have him stay. I walk away. I walk behind him. I'll give him different commands from me being in different angles. So it really depends on the level that you're at. We're, we're more Romulus and I are more in the advanced stages where he has locked in all those things. Now we got to add some things to kind of try to confuse him um, and make sure that he's really listened. Today, he had an amazing training session. I mean, his energy was high, but he was so alert and attentive. And he was just like spot on with everything. He didn't make any mistakes. He was just very engaged. And, and why he was so engaged is because I had his attention from the get-go. And I established certain parameters, okay? Um, I saw someone coming with another dog. And so I made sure to kind of redirect him to his energy being to me. 
Why? Because I understand, like I said, you got to set them up for success. You'll see some people that they'll have their dog, you know, like we'll use Caesar Milan um, and a pack full of dogs and he can give it that dog commands and that's ignoring all the other dogs. He already knows that that dog has, has the ability to do that. Your dog might and it might not. My dog does not. My dog does not have the ability. Now, if the dog's just walking by, he will ignore them. Depending on what that dog is doing, the, if, if I have him on a leash, I can get him to not react to other dogs' energy, high energy, barking, lunging. That's 85% of the time. Um, if he's off the leash, I can get him, I can keep him 50% of the time, okay? Um, if a dog's just walking by, no matter if it's on the leash or off, I can I can keep his energy uh, manageable and, and not get him to react, you know, 99% of the time, Okay. So I, but I want to make sure to, to set him up for success because it's so much easier to reward the good behavior than trying to correct the bad. So, um, I, I put him in an environment where he can succeed and he feels good. Um, and he can want, I encourage him to do more of what I want. Okay. Um, there are many times that you set your dog up not for failure, but you challenge them. Okay, but you want to slowly increment certain things that that you challenge, but you don't want to throw it to them all at once. And you want to make sure that you're working at your not only your dog's capabilities, but yourself as a trainer. And so if you do not have the capability to um, properly correct or modify or redirect your dog from certain negative behaviors, then don't put them in that position. No matter if it's uh, a unfriendly dog, quote unquote, um, a a dog that's you know reactive, if it's a person, if it's a lawnmower, whatever that trigger is, if you don't do it properly, and you're just yanking on a collar and you're just doing all the wrong things, maybe you're encouraging the bad. You're, it's you're going to make it worse. So work at not only your dog's capabilities, but you got to work at your own. Okay, you understand where your limits are. Like I said, I'm not a professional, so I definitely have limits. Um, but I'm always trying to make them make myself better, but not at the expense of, at my dog. So I'm not going to say, "Hey, let me see." Uh, I don't know how I would handle this, so let me put Romulus in a situation that he's going to fail, and I might have done some damage that is going to be harder to fix later on. So try not to do that. Sometimes you can't avoid it, but don't go into it going, I have no idea. Let's see what happens. And I have no idea if it goes south, what I'm going to do to fix it, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't, don't do that. Okay. All right. So, uh, once we did our training, we finished up our walk at this point, we're probably about three quarters of a mile. Um, definitely at about the mile mark. He, he's getting, um, not exhausted by any stretch of the imagination, but he is, I I call it the contentment phase of our walk where he's not, not trying to do his own thing as much. He's just on the walk. At that point, I let him, I reward him by letting him sniff longer, by letting him uh, mark some things that he wants, maybe pay attention to what things that he wants as well, making sure to still not let him um, be in a certain mindset, but I allow him, I'm not as, as structured. Okay. That's when I, for instance, today he was really interested in the smell on the tree and I let him sniff it for like two minutes. 
and I didn't give him any kind of correction. Whenever he was ready to go, we went. I just made sure once we were going, he's in the proper position. He's not leading me. He's not pulling, all that stuff, okay? Um, like today, I there was this crow that was messing with something. So we got as close to the crow that we could without him reacting. I made him sit, and I just let him observe that crow as long as he wanted. And his behavior was really good. After that crow went away and he didn't react, he got a treat, a reward. I mean, he did amazing today. We, we were around other dogs. Even my bulldog was there with my wife. We did a little bit of training. My bulldog is a whole nother mess. Um, but uh, my wife was working with the bulldog, and I and I use Romulus not only to train the bulldog, but vice versa. And I and I see how they react and set them up for success. Um, neither one of them had a negative reaction because we made sure not to push it too much to to make sure that they interacted the way that we wanted, so we could give some good rewards. Um, when Romulus is, is doing good like that, I'll take him down to the creek, let him get a drink of water, play in the, play with the ice. He likes, uh, breaking the ice and then pulling it out of the creek. I'll let him chew on some sticks. I start letting him do those things that aren't negative. They're not, there's nothing negative about chewing on a stick. There's nothing negative about getting a drink of water. Um, you don't want to use a reward, a negative thing that you've been trying to keep them from doing for like 20 minutes. So for instance, Hey, my dog I'm, uh, did not react to this rabbit. So as a reward, I'm going to let him chase the next one. <laughs> you see what I mean? That's confusing to a dog. You cannot use the reward for the thing that you're trying to keep them from from doing. Now, it's a little bit different when you're like, you know, trying to get them to, let's say, drop a ball and you're going to throw it and let them go chase it. It's a little bit different. What I'm saying is make sure that you're making a clear delineation with the dog so it understands if you don't want it to chase rabbits, uh, when you're on a walk, don't let it chase a rabbit when you're on a walk. Put it in a different mindset. Like Romulus chases rabbits in my backyard all the time, but he's in a different mindset when he's in the backyard than he is on the walk. Does that make sense? And so if you want to take him in that environment, maybe when he's off the leash and he can play, you know, he can chase things and if it's a dog park or whatever, you just have to make that clear distinction of a, uh, a lot of people, that's where they use that release command is they will train a dog. You'll give them a command that they know that they got to be paying attention to you the entire time. And then once you give them the release command, they can just do their thing. They can play with other dogs. They can kind of, I don't want to say ignore you, but they, they, they're not constantly checking to see if you are um, re-engaging with them. Romulus is not that kind of dog. Uh, I, I want him somewhat disciplined at all times. I, I'm not letting him just do his own thing for other reasons. Um, but that's how, like I said, I'm training toward what I want in the dog. Don't worry about what other people want. Don't worry about what other trainers want. It's about what you are trying to get out of, out of your dog. I do have a command. It's called focus where it just means look at me. And so if there's a lot of stimulus going on and he's just, he's, he just keeps paying attention to that and not me. I'll say, Rami, focus, focus. And as long as he's focused on me, he'll get, keep getting treats, focus. Um, and so I have a command of, hey, you're, I don't want you to look at, you know, these bike riders going by me, so you focus on me, okay? Um, and uh, maybe in the future, I'll see a benefit. I do see a great benefit of having a release command. It's just that I don't ever take him off the leash and let him do his own thing. I don't, I don't. I don't want that liability for one out in public. 
Um, and I just don't want him because of some personality traits of his, I, I'm, I don't think that that's beneficial to his overall training. So, but you do you boo, you figure out what you want from your dog and try to train to those standards. But just remember, you got to be very black and white. It's very hard to train a dog going, you know, it's okay to chase a rabbit one day, but not the next in the exact same environment because it's going to get very confused. So after that, we get back to the Jeep, um, you know, make him, give him some more commands. We did some training, like I said, with my bulldog, some other dogs, give him some more commands. He's kind of tired at this point. Get him in the Jeep, come on home. Um, now he was just, my wife just came home a little bit ago and I saw her in the backyard with Romulus playing with the jolly ball a little bit. Um, but you know, he's kind of chill right now and he's very content. Um, and so now that he's content, you can work on all those behaviors. Um, his, his house manners is what I call them because the needs have been met. It's hard to train the house manners when their needs have not been met. He's got to poop. He's got to pee. He got to sniff. He got to mark. He got to walk. He got all his energy out. He got to play. He got a car ride. He got treats. He got everything. We checked every block. So now I can have high standards for his, his uh, home behaviors and his house manners is I can say, okay, it's time for you to go to your bed. It's time for you to lay down. It's time for you to do this because his needs have been met. You don't want to train, try to train your dog to be super disciplined in the house first thing in the morning um, and be surprised when they it doesn't always go the way you want it. I'm not saying that you can't have standards. Rami has standards when we first wake up too. But at some point, you have to meet their needs and then you can ask anything you want. So at some point, Rami has to get his exercise. He has to go out, poop, pee, all that stuff. You know, you cannot just not let your dog go outside and do its business and expect to to have its uh, attention solely on you all the time. Okay, so <clears throat> um, I talked about working to your capabilities. I talked about setting yourself up for success. Um, I talked about energy management. I made a list of things I want to make sure to cover. Okay. Um, realistic expectations, nature versus nurture. You know, if you listen to my episode talking about nature versus nurture, then then once you understand what's nature and what's nurture of your dog, then you can have realistic expectations. And, and this is the example uh, that I use. If you um, have a dog that is trained to do something, okay? Um, or let's say, I shouldn't say trained to do something. Let's just say it's always done something that is, uh, that is it, it's not part of its natural being. For instance, the natural being of a dog, like a herding dog, it at one point could have been a trained behavior, but a herding dog has so many generations of that um, perpetuated through breeding. It's that's locked into its DNA. Its nature is to herd. 
So to ever have the expectation that you're going to train your herding dog to have behaviors uh, that's completely uh, the antithesis of those behaviors is very unrealistic. And you're never going to train the nurture or the you're never going to out-nurture nature. So for instance, and I've used this example before, if your dog, like a Connie Corso, that it's probably number one braid treat is to be protective. You can modify the behavior to get it to choose not to based on your command, but it still wants to. Make no mistake, you did not train it out of that dog. It's just purely listening to you. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to want to protect. All right? So there's certain things that, for instance, something that you will, you can never train out of a dog where someone will ask, hey, does your dog bite? I always say yes. You want to know why? Because your dog does too. Every dog bites. There's not a dog that's alive that doesn't bite unless its mouth doesn't work, um, even if it doesn't have teeth, it bites. Well, guess what else bites? You do. Have you ever bitten anybody? Maybe the answer is no. But it doesn't mean you don't bite. Because what would you do if I had, uh, if I was trying to assault you and your hands were bound and I was choking the life out of you and my arm got close to your face, you would bite me. And I want you to think about that for a second. Because a dog, the difference between a dog that bites and doesn't bite is a dog might be a scared dog. It might be a fearful dog. So it's going to bite very quickly. Your dog might have great um, a great personality. Um, it doesn't have any fear aggression. Um, it's just well-balanced. But at some point, I promise you, you can put it in a situation where it feels like its life is in danger and it has to bite out of defensiveness, reaction, no matter if it's at a dog park or it's people. Never underestimate, never tell yourself that your dog will never bite because you will be 100% wrong um, 100% of the time. You just have never put it in a situation to bite, okay? And that is the key, is does your dog normally bite in this situation? The answer is no. Then you can say, okay, I know that I can go up and pet my dog and he does not bite me. He's not gonna just bite me. But I promise you this, if your dog is in immense pain, and man, this dog is your best friend. He's in immense pain. And you go and try to touch him in that painful spot where um, you've touched him a thousand times, but today he's in immense pain. He might, snip, uh, he might nip at you. He might snap at you. Okay? So situation dictates behavior, right? So make sure that you always understand that. Never take that for granted, especially with a large dog like a Cane Corso, okay? And so what I'm saying is you can never train out of a dog nor a person not to defend itself if it feels like it's in danger. You're never going to out-nurture that nature. It's not gonna happen. You don't want a dog that will, you can just sit there and choke it to death and it knows it's gonna die and it just lays there, Okay. That's not what you want. You don't want that in a person. You don't want it in a dog. Um, what you want is for it not to be fearful of everyday interactions 
that are not life-threatening. You want it to have a clear understanding that the trash truck is not life-threatening. The UPS man is not life-threatening. The doorbell is not life-threatening. Someone, the neighbor walking into our house is not life-threatening. You see what I'm saying? Is you can train your dog to not understand that its life is not being in peril every time there's something out there, but it doesn't mean that your dog doesn't bite, you know? So always understand that nature versus nurture and have those realistic expectations based on your dog's over, like what is their their primary trait? And if it's being fearful, then you can train it to not be afraid of certain things, but its default setting is always going to be fearful. And Romulus, the other day, the smoke alarm went off. My wife was cooking. And that's not a criticism of my wife's cooking. She might be listening right now and then I'll never eat again. So, but the smoke alarm went off. And I've never seen him do this, but he got, I was fanning the smoke alarm, you know, trying to get it to the, you know, the the smoke away from it. And he got scared and he ran upstairs and he, he went and kind of hid in his bed. I've never seen him do that before. Uh, one of my bulldogs, he wasn't scared of anything except thunder. And when it thundered, he would run upstairs. And so every dog has that trigger maybe that, um, that scares him. And um, the point is that if, you, if your dog's natural tendency is to be fearful of some new stimulus, you can train to that particular stimulus, but the overall nature of your dog's default is to be scared. Same with people. You know, if you have a fearful person or someone that's very uh, aggressive or someone that's very confident, that that could be a learned behavior, but more than likely, it's kind of their default nature, okay? And and it's 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 hard to, to drill that completely out of them. You can kind of make it, you know, uh, a remissive thing, but it's always going to be in there is what I'm saying, okay? So negative training can definitely bring it back out to the forefront. So if if you understand that, hey, my dog has a natural tendency, high prey drive, you're never going to get rid of that. You can get it to not decide not to do it based on your commands, but always understand that it can, that that's the only thing that's keeping it. It still wants to, okay? <clears throat> I, I always use the, uh, the alcoholism thing. You know, if you know someone that's an alcoholic, the, the, the key is not to... Um, where they don't want to do that addictive thing, it's it's to decide not to. They're always going to have that, you know, you can't just go, well, you can be around uh, drinking or you can even have a couple drinks. Just don't drink too much. You can't do that with an alcoholic. They just have to maybe be away from that situation um, and set themselves up for success, right? Because they know it's very easy for them to go rem- into remission or go back to those negative things. Go back to drinking, right? Uh, if they if they don't constantly be vigilant, and that's what you just have to do is constantly be vigilant. And when you're doing any kind of uh, of training, especially in the beginning, slow everything down. Don't try to go too fast. Um, you know, repetition is key, but just just make sure to to slow everything down and and not try to go through a thousand things. And just work on maybe one thing at a time and say, hey, today, all I'm focused on is when I come into the house. It, it, that's a normal thing. And it's something that, that I've always been challenged with is, 
hey, after a long work day, when I come home, my dog's energy is off the roof, um, off the roof, off the chain, off uh, out of control, whatever, mixing metaphors here. Um, if your dog is completely out of control when you come home, that's a normal thing. So maybe I'm the first thing I'm going to do is get the, them to understand, hey, your energy has to be low. You can't jump on me. You can't uh, bite at me. You can't, you know, um, attack another dog. Uh, I've had that problem. Uh, there's many things you don't want your dog to do as soon as you come in. You know, pee all over the place because it's so excited. And you might just focus on that. And then once that you get that, then you can focus on all the other things maybe you want it to do when you come home. But you first have to condition it to uh, mitigate that high energy level and that they they want to show certain examples when you come home, okay? And that is that could be a whole podcast right there is how to get your dog to do to behave um, when you first come home. And it's a it's a long process, I'm not gonna lie, but it is very doable. And I've learned the hard way of what works and what doesn't work. And you know, uh, if you guys, you know, reach out, send me an email or a private message or something. Just tell me uh, that maybe you want me to go a little bit more in depth with that or another topic and, and we can cover it. Um, but, you know, slow it down and just focus on one thing. If, there, if your dog is doing three things wrong when you come home, focus on one at a time and slow it down and just focus on that until they got it and then move on to the next thing. Okay. Um, yeah. What else do we want to talk about? Uh, you know, we're already an hour in, but I feel like I just started. I really do. Because there was a lot of things that... So this is an unscripted podcast. I don't write out what I'm going to say. I write out ideas. And so those ideas I'll write down like, hey, here's some topics that I want to talk about. Um, and I actually put a lot of these down, like slow everything down I've written down. Timing is important. Um I'm not going to go into that because uh, I didn't really go down that that road too much. But of course, timing when you're giving a, a command and when you reward, very important, is rewarding at the proper time. I kind of talked about it, I guess, where I said, hey, you know, when you see the squirrel and, and you tell it to sit, um, you know, the timing is off if you give it a treat because it doesn't know what it's getting the treat for. You want to make it make sure that you time it perfect so it explicitly knows if you're giving it a correction or you're giving it a a, a positive um, a reinforcement that it understands why it's getting it or why you know it's getting it positive or negative. Okay, we talked about realistic expectations. I can mark that off. Nature versus nurture. I always talk about that because that's, that's extremely important. You guys have to understand that there's just certain things that your dog is never going to do naturally. And it, it might never, you can never get a bulldog to be a herding dog. You just have to understand that, okay? You can you can have it do more herding stuff than maybe how it came out of the box. But make no mistake, you can't make it do something that's completely against what its instincts are, okay? Instincts are extremely powerful in dogs. They've been bred in it for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And especially an ancient breed like a Cane Corso, their, their instincts are very sharp, you know, uh, Belgian Malinois and 
and Huskies and some of these older breeds that they've been doing certain things, you're never, you know, those dogs are always a little bit harder to train because they have so such high instincts. Now, some of your more bougie dogs, you know, your, your um, dogs that have been kind of created by people, um, you know, they don't have as strong as instincts maybe, and it has more to do with breeding characteristics of the mother and father and blah, blah, blah. But there's certain things, make no mistake, certain things in a Cane Corso, you're going to get probably, in, and if it's a full-blood Cane Corso, there's certain things you're probably always going to get, okay? Energy management is always going to be important for a Cane Corso. I cannot stress that enough, okay? If you can keep their energy um, at normal levels, it's going to decrease so many issues that you're going to have in your training. As soon as I said that, Romulus is barking at something. Let's see what it is. Hold on just a second. I'm going to look out my window. Yep. Okay. So I'm looking out my back window, and he's sitting in the backyard barking at two deer that are that are uh, kind of by the fence, not too far from the fence. But he will react to anything that gets, you know, Anyway, around their fence. That, I didn't train him to do that. So what would that be, people? Nurture or nature? Obviously, that's nature. That's the great thing about a Cane Corso. I've never understood people that get this breed and they get mad and they're trying to correct that behavior. That is what you have the dog for. And if you don't want that, why did you get that breed? I've never understood it. It's, it's kind of like people that um, they buy minivans and they supercharge it because they want it fast. <laughs> it's like just buy a Corvette, dude, you know? I understand, you know, it's fun to, to tweak on cars and, and make it do something that uh, it wasn't designed to do. But what I'm saying is this. If you got a Conant Corso, you got to understand, you got to be cool with that. I got to be cool with uh, trying to keep it from barking. Uh, I saw somebody on um, Facebook and they were asking how, uh, you know, what the best bark collar is to put on their Conte Corso because it's barking all the time. And I know that those, I'm be honest with you, those, some of those Facebook groups, are they're, they're like cesspools. I hate to say it, people, because I, I get a lot of new listeners that I meet in those groups and stuff, but there's so many, cover your kids' ears, so many shitheads, okay? I'll say it again, shitheads. And those groups that just want to sit there and be jerks to people, and they want to shame people and they want to just be um, negative and all that other stuff. Now, with that being said, because of that, there's a lot of groups that they have very strict rules about like criticizing people. Um, and so you get people that say stuff like that and and there's no realistic um, response of maybe like, okay, let's have a conversation of, why is your dog barking? Okay. And if your dog is barking because like my dog right now, there's there's two deer that are, you know, 10 feet from my privacy fence, that's normal. Uh, if I tell him to stop um, and get him inside, he will listen. Now I understand maybe they're just uncontrollable. Okay. I think that that's usually a sign of other deficiencies in your training. If they're just completely uncontrollable. My dog is like that when the UPS guy knocks on the front door. He goes apeshit. But 
With that being said, I can get him to lay down in his bed and just stop barking if I'm there. Okay, he's not going to do it on his own though. It's one thing to be able to stop your dog from barking, but to wear a device that punishes your dog every time it barks, which is a normal uh, predilection of the Cane Corso to alert to something that he sees as a potential threat goes against having a Cane Corso, in my opinion. Never wanting it to bark, what is the point? And so I didn't want to be negative. I didn't want to be one of these people that look like I'm piling on people, but I never, I just don't understand that. And the lady, I think, was talking about like, it's, you know, it barks when it sees the neighbors or when the neighbors in the backyard. Listen, my dog will bark at my neighbors when it sees them. And then after a while, once he sees kind of what, what's going on back there, through socialization, it can normalize it where they're not going to react maybe to your neighbors unless maybe there's someone different in the backyard or something like that. But my point is this. There's other training that I probably I, you probably need to do with your dog and if they're just barking at everything and it thinks it needs to protect literally from uh, everything all the time, then one, um, how you can get kind of maybe modify that a little bit is through training. And two, it's always going to bark. It's always going to alert to things like that. And you can't get mad about that. And, and, and I just don't understand why you're trying to get it to stop barking. Okay. And so if you understand the nature of what your dog is, you're not going to fight it and you're not going to sit here and, and say, I don't understand why my uh, 800 horsepower Dodge Demon is only getting nine miles to the gallon. How do I make it get 30 miles to the gallon? No, you got the wrong freaking car. You're not going to get 30 miles to the gallon in your Dodge Demon. Okay. Now, if you have a minivan that gets 28 miles to the gallon, yeah, maybe there's some tweaks you can do to get it to 30 miles to the gallon. But your dog, if it has, if if that's kind of its overall, the a a, a number one breed characteristic of your dog is personal protection or to be a guardian, then that is to be expected. Okay, that's different than excessive barking. I get it, but that's I'm beating a dead horse here. But I'm I'm I just want to make sure that everyone, especially if you're thinking about getting a Cane Corso, you got to do your research. Maybe that's why you're listening to this podcast. But you got to know what you're getting into, and understand that it's never in a dog's nature to bite a human being. For instance, I had listeners say that you know their dog was resource guarding and stuff and 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 bit their kid. Um, that That is normal resource guarding, but to attack out of aggression, that wasn't aggression. That was just a protective, fearful, you know, but a dog just to attack another human being, that is a, that's something that some, that is a nurture thing. Someone trained the dog to do that. Um, or there's other psychological things going on with the dog, but it's not a normal thing. What I'm saying is there's not a breed that is that that is not a a a dog is not is not a wolf. Does that make sense? Like that's why those wolf hybrids are so dangerous because if it's more wolf than dog, a wolf is not supposed to be connected to human being. They should not. They they're they're never going to be 
um, encouraged to be to have human interaction. A dog that is that has a lineage with being connected to humans for thousands of years, it's in their nature to want to be around humans. So they should not be fearful of all humans, especially their owners. Okay. And so that's why when you talk about socialization is, is get them uh, to normalize around other people um, as much as you want them to be normalized, but make no mistake, they should always be normalized to be around you. And if not, then it's, it's usually indicative of some kind of abuse, um, you know, and, or the one, I guess, exception is the wolf breed or the wolf dogs. Okay. So yeah, I beat a dead horse with the nature versus nurture. I always am just cause I get, I get frustrated when people, they, I just don't understand. It's, it's like, you know, I have a St. Bernard. How do I get it to stop drooling? <laughs> I have, uh, you know, a, a shepherd, uh, I have a great Pyrenees and it's shedding. What do I do? <laughs> and should I shave off all its hair? I mean, why do you get a Husky and shave off all its hair? Well, I live in Arizona. Well then don't have a Husky in Arizona. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Um, there's just certain dogs that, how do I get my dog, my Australian shepherd to want to lay down on the couch in my 200 square foot apartment all day. You can't stop. You got the wrong freaking breed. Okay. Get a freaking goldfish. Is that, is that too hard? <laughs> all right. So the last thing I want to talk about, I, I pretty much talked about the you know, basics, routines, blah, blah, blah. I want to talk a little bit about the mystique of the breed of the Cane Corso and if it's true or false. Okay. And why I wanted to talk about it is because I, I, I did notice that there are a lot of people um, that they have a certain opinion um, of the mystique of the breed, meaning that they, they'll they say, well, this person doesn't know anything about Cane Corsos or, or um, you should know that the, you know, Cane Corsos this or Cane Corsos that. Um, and tell you in my, just my limited experience, what is, what I found to be true and some things maybe over-exaggerated. Okay, so if you're a new Cane uh, Corso owner, or maybe you're thinking about getting one, uh, maybe this will dispel some of the myths in my in my personal opinion. This is all my opinion. Okay, so one of the things that I heard uh, before I got a Cane Corso is, hey, this isn't for the novice dog owner. Like, you have to be pretty experienced um, to have this breed. Like, if you've never had a dog before. Don't get this dog. And I will say that is 100% true. That is one thing that is not overhyped. If anything, anymore, it's kind of underhyped. If you don't know, if you don't have basic knowledge of canine behavior and basic understanding of a structured uh, pack and understand being a pack leader, especially that point of just understanding how to take charge this dog ain't for you it just isn't my wife uh, has only had two dogs in her life and it's the bulldog one of the bulldogs we have now and one that died last year um and this was extremely challenging for her even though even she the, though she had me who's been a dog owner for 30 years it's it, it was extremely challenging for her and me it was extremely challenging for me not to her extreme 
Um, but it was it was it was challenging. Now, at no point did I think it was unattainable. <coughs> excuse me, or uh, challenging to the point where I couldn't do it. I never once thought that. It was always the how do I do this or what's the best method or whatever. I knew I could get there. I just didn't know how long it was going to take. That's that's where the experience, those people that have had Connie Corsos for 10, 12, 15 years, that experience, or maybe it's their second or third Connie Corso, that they know exactly kind of what to expect in the training. That was all new to me. Like how long is it going to take this dog to learn this? Or how long is it going to take if they're you know, if he's not getting along or he's showing dog aggression or whatever else, if I do X, Y, and Z, how long is it going to take? What, uh, how disciplined do I have to be? You know, those things. Um, so that part of the mystique of the Connie Corso is true. One of the things that I think is false, in my opinion, that's a little overblown is um, that there are people uh, in the community that think that like it is the end all be all like you are a Jedi level dog owner if you have a Connie Corso and only a Connie Corso. And I can tell you from personal experience that that is not true because there are, I would say that there's a, you know, more than a handful of breeds that are a bigger handful than Connie Corsos. And even common breeds like like Huskies, um, it, they're, they're just a handful in a different way, okay? Um, and they talk about like, Connie Corso's having separation anxiety and stuff, and they absolutely do, but their separation anxiety, it's more of a depression where like a husky, they'll destroy your freaking house, man. If if <laughs> I I mean there there's a lot of dogs. Let, let me say this. There's a lot of dogs that are also extremely challenging to own. And I would not say on a scale, let's say five stars is the most challenging dog to own. I would say a Connie Corso is a three and a half stars. It's not even a four star um, as far as challenging. It's challenging. It's like five stars in certain areas, but overall, because of the love and affection and the bond they have with you, it makes everything that much easier because there's dogs that like Akitas that are a, completely aloof to their owners many times. Not always, but remember, these are always generalization people. I always get emails going, well, my Akita sleeps with me. Okay, I get it. Your freaking dog is the exception to the rule. I'm talking about generalities, okay? We're not talking about races of people. Just calm down, you social justice warriors out there. I'm talking about dogs, okay? And the woke culture has not permeated the dog culture yet. At least I don't think so. Let's hope not. So... As a generalization, Akitas are a little bit more aloof. They're not. They're definitely not to the point of where my dog just freaks out every time he sees me in the morning. He's so happy to see me. Um, and so the them being aloof um, makes all the other training sometimes more difficult because you're not getting that 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 real good reward for when you start to make some headway, a kind of course that really shows you that loyalty and dedication in, in a lot of different ways. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the falsity of the mystique of the kind of Corso just being where it's like, no, there's nothing harder. There's, <laughs> there's a couple dogs like the Kangles and, 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 and Dogos and that could be extremely challenging. Belgian Malinois, they're just, 
They might be challenging in other areas, okay? So just keep that in mind. They're extremely challenging, don't get me wrong. You absolutely need some experience with dogs. Um, but by no means are they even, I would say, in the top 10%. They're in the top probably 20%, okay? Definitely not in the top 10% hardest uh, dogs to manage on a daily basis, okay? One thing I've noticed about Connie Corso's, um, and, and this goes with most dogs, but um, you can definitely get to the point where they're uh, very, very disciplined and they listen to you very well, okay? They're extremely intelligent. There, there's dogs out there that not only are they stubborn and they have their their uh, nature is is not conducive of, of what most people want in a dog, but they're not smart and they're hard to train, Okay. Connie Corso has an advantage because it is smart. Sometimes a smart dog is hard to train um, because of their their stubbornness. Um, like bulldogs are intelligent dogs, but they're extremely stubborn. Connie Corso is not overly stubborn, and it's very willing to please you. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier to train than some other breeds that I've run into. Okay. And um, the uh, those are probably the two biggest uh, the, the mystique, I guess that, that people always talk about, um, uh, the, the dog world, I will say the things that lived up to their expectation is how much they love their owners. Um, I've never had a dog that I felt like loved me more than this dog. Um, and they are extremely loyal to their owners. They, I mean, they are, um, they are lovers definitely. Um, and I would definitely not underestimate their guardian capabilities. These, um, Romulus from an instinctual level, he's always aware of his surroundings. I mean, he has in the, in the army, we call it situational awareness. He has great situational awareness. So, um, yeah, there's certain things that will definitely live up to the hype. So if you are thinking about getting, uh, this breed, uh, do a lot of research. There's so much information. There's, you know, there was a time that when you were getting a dog, if you didn't know anybody that had that dog, you you just didn't, you know, you're going into it blind. Um, I remember way back like 20 some years ago, uh, even 30 years ago, um, when, when I was getting my first couple dogs, you know, 30, let's see, how old am I? 31 years ago. Um, you would go go to a library or you would buy a book, go to a bookstore and they had like a whole section of all the different breeds. And if you couldn't find a book on that breed, then, you know, it was, uh, it was tough. And, and that, and that book was more of a generalization. What's awesome is like, I can read a thousand people's comments on how their experience is with a, with a Connie Corso. And I can see in real time, hey, this is a breed trait because everyone's talking about this and this is just this particular dog. Like I constantly see people on the message board saying, well, my kind of course is like this and I don't, and blah, blah. And if that's the only one they had, they think all kind of courses are like that. And it's real easy to see. Just look at all the media that's out there. Um, if it's YouTube or it's Facebook groups or whatever, and, and, and note all the consistencies and you go, okay, I can be pretty sure when I get my Connie Corso, it's going to have this behavior. And then there's certain things that, you know, that is not a normal trait of a Connie Corso. Like just, you know, 
I almost said like jumping in the water and swimming, but I don't even know. I know that a lot of kind of courses don't want, aren't um, normal swimmers. My dog loves the water, just doesn't want to swim. It wants to be maybe chest level in it. Okay. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the, do your research there. There's tons of information. There's really no excuse anymore, um, to not at least having, it doesn't mean that you're going to be right about your dog or about your breeder or, or, or things like that, but just knowing what you're getting into, you should have a pretty good idea before you get your dog. I think I talked about it on this show and my early couple episodes, but I did research and was contacting breeders a year before I got my puppy, a year, okay? And I contacted a breeder that had some available, but I, I wasn't ready for it yet. And I was like, I still gotta do more research. And so I was, um, there was, I knew I was getting some kind of Mastiff. It was a Borble, a Dogo, or a Cane Corso. Those were the, the, the three that I was looking at. And kind of on an ancillary, I was kind of looking at Bull Mastiffs a little bit. Um, I was looking at just Mastiffs. I was looking at Great Danes. I was looking at some other large dogs, St. Bernard's, I've, I have some experience with. Um, but it was mainly those three, the Borbel, the Conic Corso, uh, and the and the Dogos because they have a lot of similar traits that I was looking for. I think I made the right decision. I think uh, I think from my research and people I've talked to, Borbels uh, are even at a little bit higher level than Conic Corsos in a lot of ways with uh, controlling certain negative behaviors. And Dogos, um, they would not be good in a cold climate. So um, with that being said, I did that much research. I mean, every single day I was reading something. Uh, I bought a book before I ever got one. Um, I was talking to breeders. I was, uh, I saw some YouTube channels. There was uh, three or four YouTube channels that I still watch. Um, uh, there's there's a couple, I, you know, I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. There's a couple, I'm annoyed by the people, uh, but I watch their channel because I, I like to watch the behaviors of their dogs. I like to not, I, I kind of tune out some of their opinions about stuff, um, but I, I really appreciate maybe their opinions about the breed or um, or just watching how they deal with certain behavior problems or whatever and always take it with a grain of salt and then apply your own um, capabilities to it um, is extremely important. You can't do everything exactly like I do it, but use it as a kind of a roadmap, right? Um, you know, and, and I, just like if you're driving somewhere, use a roadmap, um, and, but you might find a, a easier route and I might give you that roadmap saying, Hey, take this highway to this street, to this exit. And you go, wait a minute, here's a shortcut here. Hey, do it. Take that shortcut. If you find an easier route, then use it, but you should still start with a roadmap. Okay. Is, is what I'm saying. Okay. So um, I think an hour and a half is plenty of time uh, for this episode. I feel like sometimes I just start rambling and babbling. Uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm extremely passionate about being a dog owner, um, no matter what the dog is, no matter if it's my bulldog or in this case, my Connie Corso. Um, and I love talking about it. I love sharing what I've learned. There's no greater feeling than... When I got back from my walk 
or I was talking to my wife when I was loading him up in the car because she was at the park too. And I said, she goes, and we always give him a grade, like, you know, A, B, C, D, F. Um, and she said, what grade did he get today? And I go, if I if there was a grade higher than A+, plus, then he would have got it. He did remarkably well today. It's just a really good feeling when some of the things that you're doing are working and you're making progress. And especially when you look back and go, this is where we started and this is where we're at now. Um, you know, the beginning of last spring, um, Romulus was in a way different place in his training and just seeing, you know, that that time is going to pass no matter what. So you might as well do something with it. Um, it's, it's a gratifying feeling. And I love sharing that with people. And the same way when, when uh, we have some slip ups, you know, when, when Romulus and Bruno get in a fight or when, uh, you know, he does something that I, you know, don't want him to do um, when he doesn't listen to me or, or, and, and, and share with you maybe why that is, or give you the, the scenario so you can avoid it and maybe learn from some of my mistakes. Because one thing about me just as a person is probably the best trait, not to sound like a narcissist, but I I have a lot of traits uh, that I don't like about myself, some that I like. The, the one thing that I love about myself is I am not afraid of failure in the sense of um, I think that that's just how I learn. I, um, I'm not a mechanic. I'm not um, mechanically even minded so much, but... I learned to do basic stuff to my car by screwing it up, by taking shit apart and going, how, how do I fix this? <laughs> and uh, um, I'm not afraid to make a mistake. I've made so many mistakes in my life in general, but I feel like I'm successful and I'm in a good place now because I pay attention to those mistakes and I really dive into the why. Why did this happen? Why did it not turn out how I thought? And what part did I play in it? I'm a very big person on accountability. And this podcast is the, the main reason that I do it besides wanting to help people and stuff is to give people the understanding that I 100% believe that you have the capability to fix 99% of your problems in life. No matter if it's you know changing the tire on your car or you know, changing out an alternator, or you know, you have a you have a, a plug that's not working in your house, or you need to put up a privacy fence. Uh, if you need to, uh, you know, train your dog. I think most people they don't have the time. You know, we live in such a busy world. But if you if you if you understand that you can, and you start with. I can put up this privacy fence. I can change this alternator. Then maybe if you don't have the means to hire somebody, then you still go, I can still have what I want. I just got to put in a little bit of work, but I know I have the capabilities. And if everyone starts with that, then you're going to achieve so much more than maybe than you think that you could have because there's so many people in the world that want to tell you you can't do things. And I'm telling you that you can and that you can learn it. It's just, how do you learn it? That's what, to me, that's what talent is. Talent is purely passion. Because if you're passionate about doing it, you're going to get better at it. Just by 
doing it, you're going to learn certain things. But if you don't have the passion to do it, what can you learn? Because you're not going through the process, so it's hard to learn anything. You, someone could tell you something, but you don't, you didn't really learn it because you haven't applied it to know if that's true or not. So if you start with the idea when you have your dog, I can do 99% of this, 95% of it, hell, 90% of it. If you understand that, you're going to have such a good feeling that if you run into some problems, you can fix it. There's no worse feeling in the world than feeling like you constantly have to call somebody to fix you or to fix your life. The people that are very, um, that, that have tough time in the world, that they have to call somebody every single time they have a leaky faucet, every time they have a flat tire on a car, uh, they don't know how to do their taxes, they don't know, you know, how to, you know, where to buy the right this, or they don't know how to negotiate a deal when they're buying a car, uh, they don't understand interest rates when they're buying a house, whatever the case is. There are people that someone else is doing everything for them. Uh, some call them Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. <laughs> but my point is that you can navigate this world, aspects of it, if you choose to be more involved in it. And there's rarely things that you're going to run into that's more gratifying than doing things uh, and building something. And if you can build a relationship with your dog through training and experience and failure as well. If you just hire somebody and to come just give you something and just go, here you go, here's your custom-made Lamborghini, it's not going to feel the same as if you built or bought a shell and you built it from the ground up. And if you do that with your dog, if you build it from the ground up and you go through all those struggles and those ups and downs, you're going to have a relationship and a bond with that dog that I can't even express or put into words. You'll never understand it until you've done it. And when you have that bond, you can't ever go backwards. You're never going to want a plug and play dog again. You're going to want to build it. You're going to want to, to have that. And, and think about it being analogous to every other relationship you've had in your life. If you have that love of your life like I do, um, that uh, you're dedicated to, that you want to spend your whole life with, like, like my wife and I, I can look back at the last eight years and realize we went through a lot of ups and downs. But those downs kind of what bonded us uh, to when we're having good times. And, and it doesn't mean that downs like, you know, we're at each other's throats. I'm just talking about struggles in life. You can have struggles in your training and still love your dog. You can have struggles and failures and still get through it. But if you don't have confidence and you don't have passion and you don't have a resiliency, well, the Connie Corso probably isn't for you. Um, and maybe even dog ownership isn't for you, um, depending on especially the dog that you have. To get the most out of it, you got to put a lot into it. And that's the reason why I do this is to encourage you guys, you got this because I know you do. Okay. So as always, you can always reach out to me. Um, doesn't mean I'm always going to get back to you the same day, same week. I'm not real big on social media. I'm not going to lie. I begrudgingly will do things on social media for this podcast. 
um, because I understand that's the way the world is. But you know, I just I'm not one of those people that that are or or that is not where my passion is. Okay, is to like meet a bunch of strangers and try to be their best friends and and uh, and promote the podcast, all that stuff. With that being said, I absolutely adore everybody that listens. And anybody that reaches out, I'm not that busy that I don't have time to reach back. If I didn't get back with you, it's probably because I didn't see it because I have a couple different social media platforms um, and I have to switch back and forth and sometimes I, I forget to check messages on one or whatever. But know this, if you have a question, I'm always there to help. I'm not looking for any money. I'm not looking for any uh, anything. Uh, I want to uh, have people that feel encouraged at the process and not feel discouraged. And that's all I'm looking for right now. Maybe one day um, I'll sell some t-shirts or trying to monetize some stuff, but um, that's not what my focus is right now. My focus is just enjoying this and enjoying you guys. So if you want to interact, uh, Facebook, you can look up uh, the Connie Corso Experience or Johnny Doe on Facebook. That's D-O-U-G-H. You could reach out on Instagram, the Connie Corso X. I'm probably on Instagram more than some of the other platforms, uh, the Connie Corso X. Um, or you can uh, uh, send me an email. Uh, you know what? Just send me a message on one of those social media things because my email doesn't really go with this podcast. I don't have the Connie Corso experience Gmail or anything like that. Maybe I should, but like I said, <laughs> I, I barely care enough to do social media. So, uh, just reach out on on Instagram, the Connie Corso X. Send me a question. Uh, I love it when you guys share videos of your dogs. Um, you know, if you video some behavior things, I can help you decipher what I see. Like I said, it's purely my opinion. Um, but if you like this content, feel free to share it. You guys want to help me? Don't send me money. Don't, uh, you know, I, I don't need that. Uh, support the show by spreading uh, the love and sharing it with a friend that even if they don't love content courses, maybe they want to be the best dog owner they can be. Um, and I think there's people that can find value in this in this show as well because a lot of principles, if you if you train every dog like you would train a content corso, you're not gonna have any problems, okay? Um, because I think, like I said, content corso is like the varsity and a lot of other dogs, not all of them, but a lot of other dogs are junior varsity, right? So um, share it. Feel free to, to, to comment on iTunes. It, helps, it does help the algorithm. If Spotify, iTunes, you live, leave a five-star review and maybe say something good about it, it does boost it up in giving people the ability to find it. I don't know how. I don't know why. I just know that it does. So feel free to do that if you really want to help out me and help out the show and just spread some love. So until next time, everybody, as always, I'm Johnny Doe signing out for the County Corso Experience and be kind to man's best friend. Five, four, Peace. Three, two, one.